I never went back to the doctors because I'd been ingrained with this message that my period is just worse than other women's. You know, that's the cross I have to bear almost. Push through with it if you and yourself don't feel right. Seven and a half years is just far too long. Hello and welcome to A Slice in Time with me, Linda, host of Widlims, What I Didn't Learn in Medical School, a platform for discussing topics that are crucial to health but typically not taught, glossed over or approached from the wrong angles in medicine and public discourse. As always, stay in touch by following Widlims on social media and remember that you can find in-depth show notes and resources mentioned in the episode on my website lindadaz.com, which will also be linked in the description. Please note that this content is for educational and entertainment purposes only and should not be considered medical advice. In this episode, we meet Anita Jones, who is a presenter, BBC reporter and Endometriosis UK ambassador. I go over the condition more in my show notes, but essentially endometriosis, or endo, involves menstrual tissue forming outside the uterus, so the womb, which is typically very painful and can cause scarring and many other issues. Among other things, our discussion covers why it takes an average of 7.5 years for someone to be diagnosed with endometriosis, what can be done to address that diagnostic delay, and how the pain of women and black women in particular is often dismissed due to pain bias, as well as some practical tips for managing endometriosis. Before we get into it, although the language used during this episode centres around the experiences of Anita and other women, I want to point out that endometriosis can and does affect menstruating people of any gender. Um, yeah, if you just wanted to introduce yourself a bit in terms of what you do and so on. Yeah, so um, my name's Anita Jones. I'm from London, born and raised mixed race heritage my mum is from nigeria and my dad is british i work in the sports media scene very heavily on social media but also work in traditional media at the bbc um, specifically at bbc radio london and i've been in that space for two years now two to two and a half years Prior to that, I worked in completely different fields trying to figure out what it is I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And just last year, so June 2019, I was diagnosed with endometriosis. Mm -hmm. And you recently turned 30, right? Yes, I turned 30 beginning of July. (laughs) Great. Um, And yes, I wanted to talk to you a bit about your experience with your diagnosis uh, in terms of getting it because I think in the UK typically the average length that a woman waits before she is diagnosed is about seven years um, and even longer sometimes because that's the average which is a really long time to go around and have the symptoms and so on so I'd love to hear a bit about your experience so how old you were when when you first got it and when you first thought that something wasn't normal and your experience with primary care and so on? So my diagnosis took double. So yeah, the average is about, well, on endometriosis UK, they quote it as seven and a half years. Mm -hmm. Mine took 15 years. And um, my diagnosis was when I was literally a week away from turning 29. Mm. I first went to the doctor reporting serious period pains when I was 14. I started Mm -hmm. my period when I was 12. And so when I got to about year nine at school, I 
just started suffering from really bad pains to the extent where I would get sent home because I couldn't concentrate or I couldn't sit upright at my desk. Um, luckily, I had a really understanding tutor who'd let me go home. But when you look back at my attendance record for year 10, I missed nearly 70 days of school because of how excruciating the pain was. Mm. And luckily, my p- parents weren't penalised then. Or maybe had they had been penalised for such poor attendance, it would have forced health professionals to dive deeper into what was wrong. But yeah, that never happened at the time. I know things are very different now with the education system. And if students miss even a day, that can cause all sorts of problems with parents. But in terms of the, the pain and so on, um, I just remember something distinct about my periods is that I had very bad blood clots, um, mm. like huge blood clots, which were like, I don't know, almost like half the size of my thumb. And okay. it felt like I was giving birth, What only what I can imagine would be giving birth every time I was having a period. And the pains were limited to when I was bleeding, which was on average six or seven days. And it was very heavy. And yeah, I'd, I'd go to the doctors, uh, my GP say this, and they tell me, you know, some women have worse pains than others. Some have heavier periods. And then I think when it approached maybe a year to two years of consistently going to the doctors reporting this pain, I was given methanamic acid and I was told that this is what I think pregnant women are given I think forgive me if I'm saying that wrong but yeah so tried that out nothing because it got to a point where like things like paracetamol and ibuprofen were literally like drinking water they had zero impact on reducing my pain and so kept going back and I was just get kept getting fed the same message that some women have worse period pains than others and then I reached 18 and I was offered the pill as an option Mm. and I jumped at it but then I had my own issues with the pill you know everyone I think it it takes a while for their body to adjust the first one I took Mm -hmm. didn't help and it took me taking about seven different pills to find one which is obviously over a a period of time find one that agreed with my body to a certain extent and then I started to see that my periods the duration of my periods lessened the clotting lessened I still have pains but nothing near like what I was having before having started that pill that worked for me um one thing I also suffer from the migraines but they seem to be less frequent with this pill too but then about when I was 26 I think the pain started to it was almost like the positive uh the positive impacts from taking the pill were reversing so the pains I'd once experienced before getting on this pill that seemed to work were slowly creeping back in with each period and so that kind of debilitating helpless feeling was coming back and my clotting was getting worse again and then the real concern for me was when I then started having pains outside of the days that I was bleeding but I never went back to the doctors because I'd been ingrained with this message that my period is just worse than other women's periods like Mm. this that's it it's like 
you know that's the cross I have to bear almost and so I got to 27 and it started to get really bad and I worked in a sales job at the time and I, I couldn't really miss work because of the contract I was on if I wasn't at work I wouldn't get paid and equally I was um, on a commission style contract too and I really needed the money so I found myself having to have a hot water bottle at work um, as embarrassing as it was at times to kind of skirt the conversation around it I just couldn't survive without having that heat in the area like my reproductive organs and lower stomach mm. so then I saw a friend of a friend post something on Instagram saying that she had been diagnosed with endometriosis and it was like stage four. And I didn't really understand what the post was saying, but what really struck a chord with me is when she listed the symptoms and I said, oh my God, I can identify with all of these. This mm -hmm. is really scary. But then I didn't see any women. I then Googled endometriosis and didn't see any women at the time who looked like me with it. So then I thought, could I really have this? I wasn't sure. And so um, I then kind of had a chat with my parents. My mum said, well, why don't you go back to the doctors? And thankfully, the doctor I met this time, the GP, I told her that I'd seen this post and I'm really concerned because I have all of the symptoms that this lady has said she has she believed me for once like what she didn't even question it she said I'll refer you to a gynecologist mm. and then that was the beginning of me going on a, a journey where I was then eventually diagnosed yeah so that took you like you said about 15 years and many appointments and different medical treatments and so on and I imagine as well like I mean just suffering from quote-unquote normal period pains it still impacts you so I mean the crippling pain that you get with endometriosis I imagine must have meant that you had to miss social things and so on as well as a teenager growing up definitely like I lived abroad uh, in Barcelona for my uh, year abroad uh, Erasmus year and there were a few nights like big nights that I couldn't go out because mm. I had terrible migraines and pains in like the reproductive area the mm. just so debilitating that it ruined my night I wouldn't be able to go out so yeah th th those are the ones that stick out in my mind but there were other instances as well If people know about endometriosis, I know a lot of people don't, but I think that one of the main things people talk about is just period pain as being the main symptom. Um, you mentioned the girl whose post you saw, she'd posted about other symptoms as well. So what are some other symptoms of endometriosis and either ones that you have had experience with yourself or that you've heard are associated with it? Yeah, so there's one I haven't had, but seems to be quite common with some women is this shooting pain in their legs mm -hmm. when they're about to be on their period or they're on. Some women experience discomfort during sex. Um, for me, a symptom is like revolting, like bloating feeling. Mm. And now that I know more about the condition and how vital a role your diet can play in either easing the symptoms or worsening them, I, I now look back and see how I suffered with bloating for so long because I didn't know what was 
the right well not the right thing but I didn't know which things could exacerbate those symptoms Mm -hmm. so yeah feeling bloated a lot of the time um yeah migraines can also play a role and be uh, a symptom of it I think also the danger for a lot of women who are diagnosed or the first ones in their family to be diagnosed with it is that other family or other relatives may have very bad periods too and so from in my case my mum sometimes used to say you know what I had bad periods maybe you've inherited that and there's that myth that Mm. you know if your mum's had it you could have bad periods too instead of saying hang on no this actually may be worse yeah. So that's something I think that needs to be explored and maybe, yeah, cut down sooner in the conversation because a lot of the time I went with my mum to the doctor's surgery and after they'd given their diagnosis or said, you know, oh, we think it's just this, she'd chime in and say, well, I had bad periods. And they said, yeah, it could be hereditary, mm. but that, that could be one thing. This could be another. So I think that's a really important thing to consider that just because a parent, a mum has had bad periods, doesn't mean the daughter is only having bad periods absolutely and just going in like hearing these things all the time and sort of it being dismissed as just being bad periods did you still within yourself think that something was wrong or had you really just accepted it I mean I know that typically throughout history and still to date to this day obviously a lot of female pain is just ignored and dismissed as normal there are women going into any with heart attacks and then just dismissed as being a bit like anxious and so on so there's this constant discrimination happening and I think that typically people kind of think they they internalize that and assume that's the case so um, I don't want to be putting words in your mouth here but yeah did you still think that something was wrong or had you really fully accepted it I had fully accepted it and that's Mm -hmm. something that I it's a guilt that I live with till now because yeah and it's also why I'm speaking about it so much Mm. I I don't particularly like talking about the pains I've had or giving intimate (laughs) descriptions of what I've been through with my endo like I, I tell people one of the symptoms I had was it felt like a wire hanger had been straightened out and it scraped across my uterus Mm. or like someone stabbing my vagina area with a really sharp knife and there's nothing I can do apart from put a hot water bottle on it which kind of helps or take cocadamol because that's the only thing that works for me because uh, your regular ibuprofen or paracetamol just doesn't work so I I have a, a lot of guilt for not pushing it further Mm. Um, but like I said, when I started having these pains, when I wasn't on my period, that's when I thought this can't be right. And it's almost like my body was telling me something's not right as well. Mm. And so I listened to it. And I think that's the message that I try to send out with every post on social media about this is listen to your body, even if people aren't. I don't I don't want to say don't believe your more so people minimize your pain or think yeah. that there isn't something there you need to push through with it if you and yourself don't feel right mm. because seven and a half years is just far too long absolutely and yeah I think I saw a BBC clip or something of you discussing um how you know because this is not something that's maybe talked uh, spoken about that openly and especially not in 
when people are young because for a lot of girls I think the symptoms start around adolescence and when they get their periods but if because these are quite intimate things that you, that you might not just discuss with strangers typically or just people that you don't know very well if you don't talk about the symptoms then you're not aware of what it is and what it can be even though it is quite common so about one in ten women have some form of endometriosis but then they might be going through all their journeys on their own and all just be hearing the same thing and dismissing it rather than being it sounds cheesy but like united together and kind of having the collective story as opposed to the isolated instances definitely yeah I I mean when you start your period I think it's more I don't know it's a mixture of emotions maybe you're excited you're thinking oh my god I'm a woman now Mm. but I think I definitely had the feeling of being mortified a bit like what does this mean how do I handle it what can I wear so and you may touch on those discussions with your friends but I don't remember having in-depth conversations about periods with my friends at all. And then to then go on and say, I've got these massive blood clots. And so when you're not even having it with your, those conversations with your peers, when you're then in an environment where you're talking to a doctor who's dismissing your, what you're saying, you're not going to push for it because at the Mm. end of the day, you have trust in this individual that, they know what they're talking about so you you just push it to one side and if there was more education about menstrual health and the creation of safe environments to girls to discuss these things maybe we'd have more diagnoses earlier on as opposed to like in my case where I was diagnosed a week or two from turning 29. Mm. Yeah I was reading a paper about this because I was looking into some research and it was saying in terms of the diagnostic delay there's initially the patient cause delay they were saying which is basically because of just not being aware of the symptoms and the disease itself that's done the delay in seeking help and then once you do seek help there's a doctor delay and the barrier that the doctor presents if they're not willing or if they don't understand and don't refer you onwards Um, of course one of the issues with di- uh, with diagnosing endometriosis at the moment is that the gold standard is to have an invasive surgery so laparoscopic surgery which people might not want to do as a first line thing but then um everyone that goes through medical school they will have a gynecology block and they will learn about it so at least i think that gps should be aware of the symptoms and just think that any period pain that is causing someone to seek for help should at least be referred to a gynecologist even if maybe they don't decide to do the surgery as a first thing but they're definitely like you say there needs to be change in the delay because this is it's a chronic condition so you can't cure it but there's you know there are things you could do and you could just having the diagnosis and learning how to adapt and help out and I suppose as well psychologically it's a bit of a relief to know that there is something that and that you're not just making it up or, or people having people minimize it without a doubt that that definitely it was like I think part of me was brought back when I got the diagnosis I just remember being I think it is resuscitated when you're brought back from the surgery or something being Mm. brought back around anyway Um, and the anesthetician came by to check check on me and see how I was doing And I'm obviously out of it because I've been given morphine. And he said to me, the surgeon thinks you can go home today. However, 
I don't think you can because they found quite a lot. And I asked him, what do you mean they found a lot? And he said, yeah, they found quite a lot of stuff there. And I, I didn't know what he was talking about or that it was an endometriosis diagnosis at this point. Oh, but really? I just remember like shouting, like I knew something was wrong. Mm. And so it's that validation. That, that's what was given to me, that validation, because it had been taken away from me for so long. And I didn't want to go back to the doctors for so many years because I've been turned away, mm. you know. So definitely... I can see that chain effect of when you're then meeting a doctor who may not have the knowledge of this condition. It is, um, it is really hard when you're then turned away. I, I think I would have preferred to have had a conversation with a gynecologist about this. It had to get to the point where it was disrupting my life so badly mm. other than just the days I'm bleeding. That I, and then I felt more confident in myself as well that I could do it. And that's what I think is very sad that you have to get to womanhood almost to challenge these things. Yeah. And as when you're a teenager, you don't feel equipped enough or you don't believe in the power of your voice or you don't even think you have a voice to challenge it. Mm. Absolutely. And it should just not be getting to that point. It's ridiculous, really. Really is. You mentioned as well that you didn't really see many people that looked like you that had the the had endo and that sort of ruled it out for you initially you were like oh well it can't be that and and there are in terms of endometriosis it probably is the same rate but there definitely is racism in terms of it being diagnosed and access to to the gynecologist that will diagnose you and so on and there's this whole intersection with yeah racism interfering with the pathway to diagnosis there's the gendered racism because of course there's the just gen um, the bias in general from being a woman and then on top of that if you're a black woman and then there's the strong black woman stereotype where actually a lot of medical students and lay people and some medical professionals genuinely believe that black people feel experience pain differently and then aren't don't take it as seriously and are less likely to treat it which has absolutely no foundation in science whatsoever but I was wondering if you had reflected a bit more on that or if that was just something that you noticed and didn't really think of too much? The time in which we're having this conversation, a YouTuber by the name of Nicole Thea, I think her name is, 24 years old, just died. Uh, She's a black girl. She died on Saturday. She was eight months pregnant, more than eight months pregnant. Mm -hmm. And this brought up the conversation around black women being five times more likely to die during childbirth and it's definitely reawoken or or awoken feelings that I've had about that I don't know in all honesty and it does scare me to think that my pain may be perceived differently because of the color of my skin I mean it it makes sense because racism is across all parts of society how Mm. can it not be a part of uh, the medical industry you know when I was making my piece about endometriosis, something that I put forward to Endometriosis UK, the leading charity, was that a lot of the discourse out there and the images you see associated with this illness in this country only show women of a certain uh, profile. Yeah. That tends to be white, educated, 
30 plus women, like the women who are over the age of 30, maybe a bit younger, but those are the ones I was seeing and the ones who seemed to have some sort of clout and mm. who'd get the interviews and share their experiences. Um, even on uh, a program, I can't remember which one it was, they had a panel of women who suffered from it and they were all white. And I was just thinking, this is just further perpetuating this idea that this illness doesn't exist in other communities mm. whether you like it or not that's the message you're sending subconsciously and so that's another reason why I am so vocal about it because as things stand from what we understand it's one in ten women regardless of race so Absolutely. that means <laughs> mixed race women like myself or black women or Indian women or Chinese women are just as susceptible to getting this and yeah, sorry to bring it back to your question about the treatment about it. I, re I really hope that the medical profession is also going to have these uncomfortable conversations because mm -hmm. I work in the sports media field where the lights of Sky and BT Sport have said they're going to be giving their commentators and reporters unconscious bias training because they've there's been studies that have shown that the use of language when talking about someone with darker skin changes drastically to when they're talking about someone with lighter skin and they they're hardly ever using adjectives that could suggest someone is um, intelligent or creative mm. the darker the skin they have so when you translate that to the medical setting what does that mean about pain does it mean that you know I, I even want I did actually ask myself sorry whether I had to go to the doctors and pretend like I was feeling more pain than I was for them to believe me mm. in some sort of way. It was really, really strange because I did ask myself those questions, but maybe I don't know, black women wear pain differently, you know, mm. and that could be through the way they've been uh, treated in society that they just don't show it as much, but inside they carry it the same way, if that makes mm. sense. So yeah, I've definitely had those questions. And with that YouTuber dying, it's brought to the fore all of that and made me want to look into it and be a part of that conversation. No, thank you for that. There definitely is racism everywhere and medicine, like you say, is no exception. And there is a lot of research showing it as well, but people need to actually put in the work and tackle it. I mean, yeah, because the mortality rate for maternal mortality rate, like you said, it's five times higher. And that's when you correct for all the other factors. So clearly there is an issue and it needs to be addressed because it won't just go away on its own. And similarly in the pandemic, uh, COVID pandemic as well, the death rates are different depending on what ethnicity you, you identify as as well. So no, for sure. And yeah, there needs to be more representation. I was looking into it and there's in terms of research on endometriosis as well, most of it is conducted on white women and then th that means that it's not representative for everyone um and yeah definitely there needs to be a big change but there are some good papers as well about it which i will link to in the show notes later as well that specifically talk about endometriosis and racism so it was good to see but it's really not a majority of the stuff that's out there no definitely I i'd love to see those papers that you have about endometriosis mm -hmm. and racism yeah i'll make sure to share those In terms of your day-to-day -day life, so I mean, unfortunately, you are quote-unquote like experienced in terms of dealing with endometriosis because you've had to cope with it. So do you have any sort of um, 
coping mechanisms and things that you have figured out for yourself that you wish maybe you were aware could help earlier on um, in your journey that you've learned now? Wow, yeah, coping mechanisms, a hot water bottle, (laughs) eBay, have small ones, get yourself one if you don't have a small one and leave it in your office drawer. Mm. I like had a frank conversation with my manager and said, I need to use it because I don't feel good. And then I think with that, just own the fact that you have this pain. And if when I got the diagnosis, that's the thing I said validation earlier, it also gave me the confidence to tell men especially who'd seen me in the office on a warm day with a hot water bottle and asked goodness you can't be cold Mm. I'd shut them down and say no I'm not cold actually it feels like someone's stabbing my vagina right now and this is the only thing that can help and they'd feel embarrassed and walk away and say oh okay you know so it gives just wear it wear it confidently there's Mm. nothing you can do about it this is something you have to live with for the rest of your life and just own it is all I can say that's the coping strategy and even if you don't have it and you have bad periods try and be confident in knowing this is normal you know we need to have more conversations about these why should it just be women who are suffering men need to get uncomfortable as well and hear this and we as a society we're in 2020 I know this seems to be the year of reckoning where we're questioning a lot why aren't we questioning you know why aren't we questioning the fact that we're not talking about something that is so common? Most women have a period and is vital for people to reproduce. You know, mm. we need to talk about it more. So I'd implore young girls or women to talk about their periods as and when they can normalize having that conversation. And yeah, I, I think you need to talk to your doctors about other drugs. And if you're trying to get on a pill, don't give up I like I said it took me seven pills to find one that finally worked for me Mm -hmm. I wish I could remember it off the top of my head because I've now got the coil fitted Mm -hmm. and that's actually one thing I will say if anyone's considering having the coil fitted it is a very traumatic experience Mm -hmm. for me I couldn't walk properly for the first week it was fitted like the first three days I was bedridden pains lasted for nearly two months so I was taking a lot of cocadamol then which obviously isn't advised because it can cause addiction but I was talking to my doctor all the while um but I'm now at the other end I've had it fitted for seven eight months eight months sorry and my symptoms have reduced dramatically like it was well worth it yeah so I, I still get pains and I bleed but nothing near like um was the case before Mm. and luckily I met a nurse who specializes in in endometriosis and she implored with me to try and keep it for six months six months gives your body enough time to adjust to it if it's going to work well because it was so tempting to have it removed Mm. come two three even four months but just really try and let your body adjust take the time it needs and go easy on yourself and yeah just just try it out I know it doesn't work for everyone but for me it has and I think also lastly that thing about being easy on yourself if you have this condition you know mental health is so important this can have such a debilitating effect not only physically but emotionally and psychologically and you need to be easy on yourself because you're going to have bad days that are out of your control and 
that's just the nature of this but know that there are better days to come um, especially if you have a good network around you and just be fair to yourself great thank you I um I watched your video on the the coil the whole coil thing and yeah uh, it seems thank you. really awful <laughs> but I'm glad that at least it has has some positive impact now but the fact that like it's even having to go through that and just the way that the doctor dealt with it was also just did not sound like they were informing you properly and not tactful at all so yeah I was absolutely cringing and just like yeah shivering like you're just hearing about all of that yeah I mean that's the thing as well that more conversations about that need to be had like the coil and the implications Mm. and I would never have done it were it not for the fact that my pains post-surgery were still persisting. It felt like I never even went under the knife mm. and I was so desperate. That's the thing. I just don't want women to be in the desperate place I was in when I was looking for answers and help. Mm. I'd, I just hope that the more conversations we have, the sooner women will be or young women will be diagnosed and they have the power to make decisions or implement certain changes in their lifestyle to ease the the symptoms of the illness absolutely I know a couple of people that have managed to deal with well reducing symptoms following more a more plant-based diet is that something that you have experienced of at all or I think you were saying that some eating some things made it worse yeah so I've not tried a plant-based diet but I have followed this thing called the no crap diet so it's basically (laughs) no caffeine no refined sugars no alcohol no processed foods Mm -hmm. and I just did it for myself over Lent and then we were in lockdown before Lent ended and decided to continue beyond that and Mm -hmm. I'm not particularly religious it's just I like the goalposts of having dates and so with that I continued and like the bloating sensations were so much less frequent and with it having been my birthday recently I started eating things that don't fall in within that criteria and I can already feel the difference in my body it's Mm. horrid so I think if someone else who's also going through this try different things out see what works for you because from what I understand about endometriosis it is an inflammatory condition so that means certain foods you eat can contribute to that inflammation and make it worse and make you feel worse so have a diary and really give yourself time to work out what works for you obviously no one's saying don't live your life Mm. but at least when I eat quote-unquote bad food I know why I'm feeling like that Mm. that means you have control as well over well you know a bit more so that's good exactly Because this podcast is called What I Didn't Learn in Medical School, um, yeah. I quite like to ask people if they had, if they were able to say one thing that they wish doctors did learn in medical school, what they would like it, the focus to be on. Okay, so one thing I would love doctors to learn in medical school is that endometriosis can start when girls are teenagers I read somewhere that they seem to think it's something that starts later in life Mm -hmm. no that's not the case equally 
if a young girl is showing symptoms that look like appendicitis, as was the case with me when I was 15, and then it doesn't, it's not that, and you've decided not to explore that uh, or operate, please check if it's actually something related to her menstrual health, because I believe I was misdiagnosed at that young age, and maybe intervention then would have saved me so much more stress that I then went on to live for nearly a whole another 15 years before getting diagnosed absolutely well thank you for that and uh, yeah thank you so much for talking to me it's been really useful having you on and i just wanted to hopefully present like a slightly different perspective and uh, i don't know what part of the internet i ended up on but i ended up finding you and seeing your <laughs> posts and so on oh um, thank so you. yeah no i'm really glad that we had this talk no, I'm really grateful for you reaching out, Linda. I think it's great. Thank you, Anita. Great speaking with you. Bye. And that's our episode for this week. I really hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please share the love with Anita who took her time out to talk about her own personal experiences. Do check out the show notes. There's a lot of resources and references and further reading for you there as usual. And also don't forget to follow at Whitlims on Instagram and Twitter to stay in touch and up to date. If you like the episode, please also do share it with friends and family and anyone that you think might like it too or that you think just needs to listen. With that said, I hope you have a lovely rest of the day and I hope to see you back next time. Thank you so much for listening. Bye.